Hello, and welcome to the Evolve and Elevate podcast. I am Jacob Fry, your show host and humble servant. I have an unwavering belief that no matter where you are, who you are, what you have, or what the story of your past may hold, you have the ability and inner strength to design and realize your best self tomorrow, if only you will put in the effort today. Welcome to Episode 2, Season 2 of the E&E Podcast. I hope you've had a productive, powerful, and abundant week so far and are out there evolving yourself and elevating the world for the better. We're going to jump right back into the book where we left off. Chapter titled, Early Childhood. Mom headed for Quincy, Illinois, her hometown, with brother and I in tow. We would call Quincy our home for the next 10 years until the impact of Mom's life choices caught up to her and to us. Mom never really worked for income. She would wash dishes here, clean up there, babysit, or do other odd jobs occasionally. At a young age, she was put on disability, and we survived on food stamps, Medicaid, and any other government welfare programs available. During our childhood, my brother and I, following Mom's lead, lived in nearly every Section 8 applicable living space within the city border. Mom had been evicted several times throughout our younger years, forcing frequent relocation. From noise complaints, drug abuse, and too many police visits, to the inability to pay rent, keeping the same living space for a long period was a rarity. Due to the pattern of monetary-related evictions and living on government funds, the government decided that she was unfit to control her own income. Mom was assigned a court-appointed counselor, a treasurer of sorts, who would issue allowance from her funds after the main responsibilities were covered, such as rent. This inability to spend funds as desired, on tobacco, drugs, liquor, on her vices, created a severe pain point. Mom was very creative and resourceful when it came to resolving her personal pain points. When up against a wall, she would often find a way to move forward. Unfortunately, her solution for this particular problem had a heavy impact on her children's day-to-day lives. Mom began selling food stamps for cash and diverting child support funds to her habits. Our home quickly moved from an abundance of food to scarcity. Naturally, requiring sustenance, we began finding creative avenues to stay fed. We would go to local food pantries and eat as many soup kitchen free lunches as were available. We did not starve, but we certainly did not have the ability to be choosy in our meal options. With mom using child support intended for clothing and school supplies, my brother and I were often spotted in hand-me-downs or shopping with mom at the local Salvation Army for clothes. The moral of the story? We were raised with little and became comfortable without. Yet, while we still desired more and were often envious of other children that had new shoes or the latest gadget, this type of environment, meaning poverty, wanting, feeling of lack, tends to push individuals to take any and all opportunities that present itself. This was especially apparent in regard to mom's choice of mates. Mom would generally burn through a few relationships every year, never truly creating anything of substance. Most of the connections being formed in the, quote, here for a good time, not a long time, unquote, mindset. The first memory I have is courtesy of one of mom's mates on my seventh birthday. Silver linings for the chapter. Frugality is a great boon in growing a sturdy personal financial foundation. I still shop and find very nice clothing for pennies on the dollar at Salvation Army and Goodwill stores. Look like a million bucks for a few quarters. Chapter title, Buzz Cut. I had strategically placed a whoopee cushion under the couch cushion in the living room. I sat, waiting anxiously for an unexpected victim to plop down and release a fake fluctuation. 
My uncle was the victim, a jest himself. He sat down on the couch, and the cushion let out a potent farting sound. With a lighthearted laugh, he pressed on gleefully, playing with what he referred to as, quote, fart bag, unquote. This moment was a joyful experience for me as a child, one that was unfortunately overshadowed when the party attendees departed. During this time, Mom was dating a gentleman whom most would refer to as a, quote, skinhead, unquote, S.H. for short. S.H. took it upon himself to give the birthday boy and his brother a buzz cut, which I recall being some form of harmless indoctrination from his point of view. It was a devastating idea from mine. I was rather fond of my hair, and I did not like the thought of looking like S.H., and I rejected the, quote, offer, unquote, and the topic was dropped with little resistance. S.H. had another beer, and then another, and another. S.H. was prone to violence and aggression while intoxicated. After a few beers, he revisited the suggestion, except this time it was a demand. I was playing with a toy car that was gifted to me earlier that day when S.H. picked me up by my arm and forced me into the kitchen chair. Tears began streaming down my face. I did not want the haircut, and besides, wasn't it my birthday? Shouldn't this be my day? I was quickly brought back to reality when S.H. began berating me. Quote, stop being a pussy, unquote, he yelled. Quote, stop crying like a little fag, unquote. He laughed at my tears over my, quote, sissy hair, unquote, and I can still feel his dark intention and need for control. His eyes wide and his muscles tense, he turned on the clippers. Mom was in the kitchen, also drinking, softly reminding S.H. to be gentle and to not be so rough. Gripping me firmly, he made his first pass over my head. I was fighting hard not to sob, as I truly feared what S.H. might do in his current state. My brother watched the entire event from the next room, glanced into my eyes. He was frightened. He was saddened. But not for himself. He had always been an empath, always having love for others, and concerning more for others' needs than his own. His eyes revealed his concern. The corner of his lips curled down in a sympathetic frown as his eyes also began to well up. Finally, S.H. was satisfied with his work and ordered me to get up. Inviting my brother over, he began his trek over and had cleared up his tears before sitting down. Always one to handle emotional events with relative grace. S.H. had a sweep up, quote, our mess, unquote, as he returned to another beer. He expressed his gratitude that no more homo haircuts were in the house. This experience instilled in me the fear of showing emotion to others. For years, stemming from the single experience, I would refuse to cry in front of others, and also rarely when alone. This false construct that emotions cause pain would not be destroyed until nearly two decades later. In full transparency, fleshing out this scene to paper and accepting this truth is one of the more emotional experiences of my life to date. Unfortunately for us, as well as mom's stability, the men in her life never really raised the bar S.H. set. Silver Linings for the Chapter I learned how to exert control over my emotions during this experience. That has been a helpful tool throughout life, from controlling anger when someone is instigating to controlling excitement when negotiating a vehicle purchase. Control of our emotions is a great boon. Chapter titled, Drugs Are Bad a year or so later, Mom met Vietnamese twins. V1 and V2 were their names. For a while, they both lived with us, rent-free, of course. 
The twins were quite literally professional con artists, always seeking to hustle, rob, steal, and deal for a dollar. They were both excellent pool sharks, and as a young child, I thought their personal pool sticks were the coolest thing since bagged chips. On one or two occasions, I had the chance to watch them play pool for cash bets at a local bar. They would intentionally play bad and lose at a low-wagered game or two, and when someone worked up the confidence to bet big, they would run the table. After long nights of bar hopping with their pockets full of cash, they would retire before their, quote, jobs, unquote, the next morning. I must admit, there is one thing these two had over all the other, quote, men, unquote, in mom's life, and that was their work ethic and relentlessness. Mom dated V1 for quite some time. He was a serious drug addict, his favorite drug to abuse being crack cocaine. He and mom would spend numerous days smoking and just zoning out in the apartment. It was the strangest thing to witness as a child. They would sit there stone-faced, picking at the kitchen table or floor, seeming to endlessly pursue some thought just beyond their grasp. Their habit cost serious cash to sustain, and coupled with V1's gambling addiction, household funds were often in extreme fluctuation. One week, they would be worry-free, and the next, arguments galore as they figured out how to get a, quote, fix, unquote. V1 eventually expanded his horizons into meth manufacturing. He set up a makeshift lab in Mom's basement. Mom had a cellar under the apartment we were in at the time. I remember stumbling upon a table in the cellar that was surrounded by empty cold medicine boxes and hosted several different pieces of lab equipment. At the time, I did not really understand the seriousness of the events taking place in that basement. I remember V1 proudly proclaiming that he would make thousands of dollars each month. If it weren't for the drug addiction and gambling habit, V1 could have accumulated some serious money. He could have helped stock the pantry with some food. But rather than save or provide, the money was always flushed away at the Riverboat Casino or catching that next high. It wasn't too long before someone caught on to what was occurring in that cellar. V1 was caught up in a raid and was issued a lengthy prison sentence, as he already had a criminal record. Mom was considered a lesser accomplice, seeing a short jail sentence, of which my brother and I stayed with our grandfather. It was a tragic experience for my brother and I. Mom, as was all we knew, and it was difficult not understanding why this was happening. When she was released, despite forced sobriety, she was smoking cigarettes and drinking that same night again. Even after some time off of the hard stuff, she found her way back into it as well. Mom found a new place, and we were back together in no time. Silver linings for the chapter. Often, shortcuts will lead to devastating long-term consequences. Take a shortcut to wealth illegally, and you'll be rewarded with probably a lengthy prison sentence. Take the longer path that requires self-growth and effort, and you'll likely find many rewards along that path, a path that is infinitely more sustainable. Chapter titled, If You Play With Fire. During this period of our life, Mom was absent from most of our day-to-day adventures. She was present, but just absent, tied up in drug-seeking, drinking, and other escapism. One morning, famished, I decided to make my brother and I bacon for breakfast. I had never cooked on a stove in my life, but after attempting to wake Mom for an hour, we were starving. At least I thought we were starving. Turning on the burner, I placed the skillet over the flame and tossed on the frozen bacon. Yes, frozen. And I was not really tall enough to reach the pan and struggled to effectively turn over the bacon. After cooking for a little while, the grease had begun to build up in the pan. 
It was bubbling from excessive heat, the grease was bursting everywhere, and a blob of boiling grease landed on my hand. Unsuspecting and shocked, I jumped, knocking the entire pan of bacon to the ground and the grease all over the open flame. A burst of raging flame covered the stovetop and my brother began screaming in fear. His screaming was drowned out immediately by a blaring smoke alarm. The alarm finally woke Mom and V2 from slumber. V2 had replaced V1 as the mate as V1 was in prison. And I scrambled to scoop up the bacon as they both ran into the kitchen. I absentmindedly touched the pan with my arm, causing a large section of my skin on my forearm to get a second-degree burn, and chaos ensued. I threw the pan as the pain seared over my burn. I began waving my arm in pain. Both Mom and V2 were yelling and cursing, not understanding what an 8-year-old was doing trying to cook on the stove. They tackled the situation, extinguishing the grease fire and securing the pan. The immediate issue was controlled. The batteries were removed from the smoke alarm. V2 saw my burn and he scolded me for being an idiot. He picked me up and he threw me into the bathtub, turning on the water, the cold valve only. Mind you, this was wintertime in Illinois, and the cold tap water was cold. And through my violent protest, he forced me to stay in the cold water for what felt like an eternity. Mom came in reacting to my screams and yelled at V2 to stop. He finally turned the water off, scoffing at her reaction, telling me that it, he was only trying to help and this should serve as a lesson not to play with fire. I was sent to my room, still hungry and severely shaken by the entire event. Returning to school the next day, I was forced to wear a long sleeve shirt to cover my burn. It wasn't abnormal for the time of year, and I found myself wearing a long sleeve shirt everywhere until my burn healed. Silver Linings for the Chapter it is important to be wary of attempting something you know nothing of. This does not mean not to adventure and pursue new things, simply to research and be aware of what you are going to do. You wouldn't fly a plane without having learned the basics, and you wouldn't cook bacon without having first used a toaster. This lesson has had some impact on my adventures through the years, most recently watching online training videos prior to renting a snowboard and attempting to make it down a mountain with zero experience. I had to ask three times for help boarding the lift, and I left with a concussion, but undoubtedly less damage to myself than I would have if I had not done some research prior to that adventure. Chapter titled, Just Keep Swimming. It was summertime, school was out, the local playgrounds were full, and the pools were open. The pool was a treat we did not get to experience often, so when mom offered to take us to go swimming, we jumped for joy. We got ourselves together and joined Mom in Grandma's car. Grandma had let Mom use her car to run errands for the day. The car ride was a little bit of a haul as the pool we went to was on the far side of town. My brother and I had not known until arriving, but Mom was not going to stay and go swimming with us. Paying our admission, she left us with some cash for the concession. And we weren't worried about it. We just wanted to get into the water. She promised that Grandma would be there to pick us up at the closing time as she left. We wandered off to the majestic concrete rectangle before us. It was a seriously awesome time. The pool had a diving board and a mounted hoop to play pool basketball. We had a blast swimming with the other children as we pretended to be basketball all-stars. My typical worries seemed to be a distant memory while there. No concerns about myself or my brother's well-being. We were truly regular children in those fleeting moments. Between lifeguard checks, in which they make you exit the pool, we grabbed some nachos to split. The ones where they drenched the tortilla chips and nacho cheese. They were sublime. 
After some time passed, they announced over the speaker that the pool would be closing in 15 minutes. Heading to the locker, we dried off and tossed on our t-shirts. We hung around a tall oak tree, waiting in the shade for our ride. We waited, and waited, and we waited some more. Eventually, the parking lot was empty, and we began to panic slightly. A strange-looking man started walking towards us, and we took it upon ourselves to start heading in the opposite direction, towards home. The sun was starting to go down as we began the nearly seven-mile trek back to the apartment. Today, this is a normal jog. But at that age, navigating seven miles of city blocks was a daunting pilgrimage. We walked the main road through town, Broadway Street. It was 80 blocks or so to get back to the apartment. After a dozen crosswalks and numerous silly conversations, what would you do with a million dollars? By a talking hamster, of course. We began to get hungry. Counting our change, we had a few dollars left and opted to go into a nearby county market, also known as a grocery store. We grabbed a bag of chips, water, and a Snickers to split. When we rang it up at the cash register, we didn't have enough for it all, so I asked my brother to put back the candy bar. Continuing our walk home, about two blocks later, my little brother pulled out the Snickers I had asked him to reshelf. It was immediately clear what had happened. We were both young and naive. I began to panic. I pictured us getting arrested and never seeing Mom again. Oh, crap, I thought. We're going to go to prison. I looked at my brother and went on a tangent about how we could end up in a place we went with Mom to visit V1. He began to cry, scared in submission by his big brother's words and amplified by his already peaked level of adrenaline as a child pocketing a candy bar from a grocery store. It wasn't until later in life that I understood he was genuinely trying to help our situation and he took the bar out of love. Seriously, my brother is the gentlest, law-abiding individual I've ever known. Truthfully, it may have stemmed from this experience. A few moments later, police sirens began wailing in the direction of our over-dramatized robbery. We both froze. I was convinced that they had been tasked to find the brutes that ransacked the county market. I told my brother to run, and we v-lined straight for an alley. We ditched our shirts, because they wouldn't recognize us with no shirts, right? And threw the perfectly good, but criminally tainted candy bar away. We finished our journey about an hour later. We were walking through the door, in the dark, with no shirts, hungry and exhausted. Mom was at the kitchen table, drunk. She looked at us, and a glimpse of genuine shock came over her face. She jumped up, asking what happened, where we went, and where our shirts were. She claimed she was going to have Grandma pick us up, but somewhere the communication to Grandma fell short. We ate dinner, we slept, and we forgave our mom, because she was all we knew in the world, and we loved her. Silver Linings from the Chapter all it takes is one genuine scare to change a person for life. My brother wouldn't steal a candy bar these days if his life depended on it. You can conquer anything if you keep moving forward. And do not enter a store hungry or broke. Let's wrap up the episode with a few closing comments. Frugality is something that has been prevalent throughout my life first in my childhood by force, and in my adult years by choice. Having the skill to live below your means leads to extreme possibilities in the realms of financial stability in your life. As we earn more, we should save more and invest more. Another thing to be wary of is lifestyle creep. The struggles are real. When we grow our income, it can be extremely easy to take that extra money and do something immediately gratifying with it. 
Rather than consuming, consider using that additional income for expanding financial stability, save, invest, etc. There's a video link in the description that shows a good reflection of lifestyle creep. Also, there's a link to a silly video I did regarding shopping at Goodwill, and if you find yourself with some spare time, consider a quick look-see. What's the worst that could happen? Reverting back to the buzz cut chapter, the ability to control our emotions despite external turbulence is truly powerful. Self-control, as James Allen stated, is strength. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and look forward to sharing more with you next time. This is Jake, signing off. And remember, when things are looking down, you always have the choice to stay up.